Shabbat Shalom. This week's parasha is named after one of its key players, Pinchas, or in English, Phineas. And it spans numbers 25, 10 through 31. I submit to you that by examining Phineas and others in this text, we might build a robust picture of how God uses the dynamic interplay between individual and corporate faith to accomplish his purposes. We will see how both matter to God and how he often uses one to shape the other. Our parasha picks up halfway through the story of Phinehas. Previously, Balak, king of Moab, fearing Israel traveling through his land, convinced the pagan prophet Balaam to curse them. Fortunately, God is as much Lord of spirits as he is Lord of tongues. (laughs) With each attempted curse, Balaam could only utter blessings. But the enemy knew his target well, and through Balaam's advice, enticed Israel into idolatry. Balak sent seductive Moabite women to lure Israeli men to offer sacrifices to Baal. Well, it worked. And when the men fall, society as a whole is not far behind. God punished their betrayal by commanding the execution of those men who participated and by sending a plague that killed 24,000 Israelis that day. Surely God's point could not have been more clearly and drastically made, yet one particularly impudent scoundrel spurned it. In full sight of those weeping over their lost family and friends, Zimri, son of Salu, audaciously took a Midianite woman into the tent of his family, yes, his family, and did the unspeakable. Well, if there is one redeeming part of the couple's treachery, it is that their (coughs) compromising position made it all the easier for Phinehas, the Lord's faithful servants, to spear both of them through simultaneously. In the next chapter, the the Lord orders that a census be taken to gauge the size of the Israelis' prospective army. After all, the Canaanites and Philistines were not expected to hand over the promised land when asked. The census showed that Israel had 601,730 males over the age of 20. Uh, For comparison, that's not too far behind the total population of Detroit. It's exactly 1,820 fewer men than there were after escaping Egypt. It seems 40 years of wandering in the desert had taken its toll. Immediately following the census, the Lord set his sights on dividing up the land for inheritance purposes. He commanded that the tribes receive land in proportion to their size. The inheritance laws seemed to work well for everyone, everyone that is except one family. Allow me to introduce you to the daughters of Zelophad. Their father had previously perished in the wilderness. Having borne no sons, his daughters thought it only fair that they inherit his land. They brought their case before Moses, who then brought it to the Lord. Adonai clearly and unambiguously recognized their rightful ownership to that land. Jumping further into chapter 27, we are allowed a window into a private conversation between Moses and the Lord, God tells Moses to climb Mount Abarim to behold the promised land. 
This is a bittersweet command, as Moses is privileged to lay eyes on the fruit of 40 years' labor, yet immediately after doing so, the Lord says he will join his brothers in Sheol. Never to taste its richness, all because of his faithful unfaithfulness at the waters of Meribah. Like any good spiritual leader, only one thing loomed large in Moses' mind and heart. Who will shepherd my people after I am gone? He beseeches God to appoint a suitable replacement, and he does so using what is, in my opinion, one of the most powerful names for the Lord in the Bible, the God of the spirits of all flesh. He responds by choosing Joshua, the son of Nun, to be inaugurated in a special religious ceremony. Why him? Quite simply, Joshua was indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Parsha concludes with a series of reiterated dictates concerning the sacrifices to be made at various times and occasions. These sacrifices are each unique and worth studying in their own right, but what they all hold in common is that they are all for the glory of God and for the good of the community. That is, they work to bring fullness and redemption to the whole of Israel. Opposite this corporate relationship with God is our individual relationship with him. We have three examples from today's text. First is Phineas. In the face of egregious unfaithfulness, he took individual action without consulting the corporate body chiefly offended. Yet it was because of his zeal that the Lord made a covenant of peace with and a perpetual priesthood out of him and his descendants. Not only that, but God also spared all of Israel on his account. Individual faith rippled into familial and corporate faith. Second is the case of Zelophehad's daughters. These daughters had the boldness to approach Moses over a perceived injustice. And what was the result? God actually amended the laws to make daughters the inheritors in the absence of sons, brothers the inheritors in the absence of children, the father's brothers the inheritors in the absence of brothers and children, and the nearest clan kinsmen the inheritor in the absence of all family. Individual action prompted God to fill a void in his corporate system. Finally, it was the Holy Spirit living and reigning in one man, Joshua, that led all of Israel into the promised land. Even with 601,730 men at his disposal, God delighted to use just one to fulfill his purposes. In this way, Joshua was a type of Messiah. Jesus, of course, is the paragon, the apotheosis of individual faith affecting the corporate body. Just listen to what the God-man accomplished for us in Colossians 1, 17-20. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Yes, Israel is his chosen nation. Yes, the church is his bride. Yes, we are one body in Christ. But no, we are not all the same, nor do we all serve 
the same purpose or fulfill the same role. God has the ability to use each of us individually for the good of his corporate body. The question is, are you, for your part, willing to take up that assignment and walk in it?